is. I mean, when we say, God, whatever you've given me, I'm going to then use for your glory and to help others. Man, incredible, incredible things happen. And that's really what what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks is everything that God's given us is for his glory and for helping others. In Psalm 24, verse 1, scripture tells us that the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So everything in this world, us included, and everything that we have is really all his. And he hands it to us, and, and that looks different for every single one of us. He hands it to us and says, here, do something with what I've given you. Do something with who you are. Do something with the family I've given you. Do something with the job that I've given you. Do something with the resources and time that I've given you. And do something with it. Do something for his glory and for the help of others. We're really good managers. That's really what he's asking us to be. He's saying, would you manage my stuff? And as we go through the next several weeks, that's the question I want you to ask, but also begin to answer for yourself. How, how am I managing? Am I being a good manager? Am I being a not so good manager? How am I managing God's stuff? If you walk into any environment, a retail, a restaurant, a store, you walk in and if you're there for very long, you can begin to tell, ooh, they've got a good manager here. Or you walk in and say the opposite, like, ooh, this is not managed well at all. You've probably worked for some good managers and worked for some bad managers. I am proud to say I have officially moved my office from Dunkin' Donuts to Panera Bread across the street. That happened this week. I've been thrilled. I've been so thankful. Still love Dunkin' Donuts, but I'll be honest, I was looking forward to Panera opening. And so I walked in this last week. First time I'd been in there, they just opened this last week. And I start, started working in it. And, and uh, they got great facilities in there, good workstations. So I start working out there. And it wasn't long before you just got a vibe that, hey, this is managed well. Whoever's the manager at Panera has done at least so far. They've only been open a week, so we'll give them a little bit more time. But so far, they have done a great job managing that store. It's clean. It's running efficiently. The, the employees seem nice. So again, they've only been there a week, but they seem nice so far. Like they enjoy their job. Um, if there's a problem, they were, they were quick to, to make it right. So I was curious what it actually takes to be a manager at a Panera Bread. So if any of you are looking for a job, here's what it takes to be a Panera Bread general manager. So says that the main, their main duty is to establish teamwork and dedication among the employees while making the customers feel like they are part of a big family when dining at the restaurant. I would say I was there this last week and I felt like that. So, so far, so good. Goes on in the job description, but above all, general managers at Panera Bread face a, a more, more important role of having to direct the store's overall daily operations by scheduling work shifts among employees, ordering and conducting inventory of food supplies, and ensuring that the company's safety codes and security policy are being maintained. It is also their responsibility to recruit, interview, and hire qualified team members. It is also within their power to conduct performance evaluations and appraisal, motivate and coach staff, as well as take disciplinary action if needed. There's their job description. So if you were to go to hire, try to get hired on at Panera Bread as their manager, that would be the job description. They would say, here's your responsibility. You don't own the restaurant. You don't own anything at Panera, but... But you're going to be the manager, and so you have to then steward everything that you've got from the employees to the policy to their codes of conduct to the food itself, the quality of food, the ordering of food. You have to manage, as the job description says, the daily operations of the restaurant, of the store. And that's what God is really telling us to do. He says, here's what I've given you. Everything in the world, including you, is mine. And God says, here you go. You don't own it, but I want you to manage it. 
I want you to be in charge of the daily operations of life, and I want you to manage it well so that it's for his glory and for the help of others. Jesus actually speaks to our job description as managers, so to speak. If we say, Jesus, I'm following you, Jesus, I'm all in, then he gives us some, some descriptions of here's, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what it's going to take to be a manager of God's stuff. In Matthew 20, 25 through 28, he has his disciples together and they, they had a different job description than what Jesus intended. They're, they're all about, hey, we're going to have some power. People are going to look to us and we're going to be famous. We're going to be like this original disciple group. Everybody's going to know us. We're going to do some great things. And Jesus has to remind them, that's not my description for your job as a manager of my stuff. He said, here's what it looks like. Verse 25. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. That's what the world has as if you're a manager, if you're in power, if you have authority, that's what it looks like. Verse 26, but among you, it will be what? Different. He said, that's, that's what's in your head right now, but yeah, let me straighten you out a little bit. Here's what it's actually going to look like for us. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as we are going to figure out and discover and, and hopefully hone in on what it looks like to be a, a better manager of God's stuff in our own lives and in our family's lives and our community and our church, all, the, all of the above, part of our job description is to serve, to take what God has allowed us to have, our time, our resources, our relationships, and say, okay, God, I'm going to use this for your glory, but for the benefit and the help of others. So I'm going to use what you've given me. I'm going to manage it well and use it. Part of that is through serving others. Now, I want you to think as we go through the rest of today, I want you to think in three categories. First one is family. Say family. Next one is church. Say church. Last one's community. Say community. So if you're taking notes, if you want to, you know, write some things down, I want you to think in those three categories. How am I going to use what God has given me to serve my family? God, what have you given me that I could use for your glory to help others to serve our church? God, what have you given me? What do I have that I'm a manager of that I can serve and use in my community? I want you to think in those three categories. If we're like the disciples and we, we understand this job description now, it's like, hey, we're going to be a little different. We're going to serve instead of seeking after the power. We're going to serve and, and instead of trying to be first, we're going to be willing to be last and serve others for his glory, for other, the benefit of others. If we're willing to take on that job description and say, okay, okay, Jesus, I'm in. What we're saying is not just yes to some volunteer hours. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about here. This is a life of serving, this is every moment of every day we begin to look for ways to serve our family, our church, and our community. It's great if we can mark it off on the card and say, hey, I'm going to volunteer an hour here. I'm going to volunteer for this event here. But it's a life of serving. It's a life of saying, I'm, not, I'm, I'm okay coming in last. It's a life of saying, really not about me and my preferences, but how can I give God glory and help others? But we're going to focus mainly, I mean, you could look at this through all sorts of relationships and environments, but mainly through our families, our church, and our community. Good managers of God's stuff, they have a servant's heart every single day. Every single day. Doesn't mean they're just volunteering every day. I mean, we don't have enough time in, in our day or week to do all that. But we're looking for moments, we're looking for opportunities to say, oh, I can serve. I can serve. It's not about me, but it's about 
someone else. It's not about me. It's about using what God has given me for his glory and to help others. So there's a, a scene, there's a story I want us to see early on in Jesus's ministry. John chapter two. If you got your Bibles, head over to John chapter two. We'll put on the screens up here as well. But John chapter two is very, very early on in Jesus's ministry. He has, he has already gone through the temptation. If you're aware of the temptation right after his baptism, he's begun to call his first disciples. So now he's got a following, these few that are like, okay, Jesus, we're all in. Teach us, show us, we'll follow you wherever. And it's right after he calls his early disciples that we pick up this story. He hasn't taught anything really yet. He's not done any miracles publicly yet. Jesus is just now beginning his ministry that we would then pick up in the gospel. So I want you to see what happens early on here. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. That allows us to assume it was some close connection. Jesus hadn't become famous enough to just be invited to a random wedding. The fact that his mom was there, we see later that his brothers were also there, as well as his disciples. This was a close family friend, but most likely some relative is getting married, so they're all there. And we're going to see Mary has kind of a large part in this. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine, because that would have been a big deal culturally. It was the family's job to make sure there was enough food and drink to last the entire celebration. And they did weddings right. This was not a couple hours. This was like a seven-day party. And so they made sure the family was in charge of making sure there was enough food and drink for the entire guest for the entire length of time. If they did not do that well then that was a very dishonoring moment. So Mary, Jesus' mother, starting to freak out. There's not enough wine. We've run out. Look at what she does. She says, Jesus, you can do this, right? You're the son of God. Fix it. Do something about it. Verse four, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now look at verse five, Mary's response. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now I love this because what a great insight into Jesus and his mom. Jesus tells his mom basically no. Mary says, Jesus, we're in, a, we're in a pickle here. We are out of wine. This is gonna be very dishonoring for our family. You need to do something about it. You're the son of God. Snap your fingers, make there be wine or do something. And Jesus says, no, woman, I'm not ready yet. You're, you're getting ahead of me. No. And Mary doesn't even acknowledge his answer. Mary looks at the servants and says, just do whatever he says. He's gonna do it, trust me pretty sure Mary is the only human able to talk to Jesus this way. <laughs> so verse six, he doesn't argue with her, which says something about being godly. Verse six says, nearby stood six stone water jar jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now understand the need that was presented. Again, we said culturally, it was a dishonor. It was very dishonoring to the family if they ran out of food and drink at a wedding party that they were responsible for. And so Mary obviously knows this, brings to Jesus's attention the need. 
we have a need. Jesus, we need you to meet the need. And we know that in this day and age, they're not just going to walk down to the store and pick up some more cases. No, they have to say, Jesus, you're the only one that can fix this. You're the only one that can do anything about it. We need you to meet this need. She brings the need to the attention of Jesus, and he does an incredible miracle. He fixes the problem. He meets the need. Now, as we read this story, can we all agree that Jesus is the hero here? Thank you. Yes. 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 When, when your pastor says, is Jesus the hero? Your answer is always yes. <laughs> so yes, he's the hero. However, there we go. However, he is not the only hero here. Pay attention to this. Look back at verse, uh, at verse five. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus goes on to utilize these servants. We don't even know their names. He utilizes these servants to perform an incredible miracle. Jesus could have easily snapped his fingers and fixed the problem and met the need. However, Jesus chose for his first miracle, for his first moment walking into his ministry here on earth, he chose to use these servants. Servants that we have no idea who they were, no mention of them ever in scripture again, but he chose to use the servants. See, God has given us incredible things in this life to be managers of, and he chooses to use us to do incredible things. So I want you to see the instructions that were given to the servants here, because they're the ones that Jesus is using. First instruction, like we said, verse five, Mary, after bringing the need to Jesus's attention, said, do something about it, and looks at the servant and says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you which is great advice just for a rule of thumb. When Jesus asks you to do something, when Jesus tells you to do something, you just do whatever he says. But more so in this moment, in this moment, that's really the job of a servant, especially here, is whatever is asked of you as a servant, you, you perform what is asked. Servants do whatever it takes. They, they do whatever is needed to meet a need, whatever the ask may be. And that's what Mary is kind of saying, but also reminding them of, Hey, he's going to ask you to do some things. There's a need that needs to be met. And servants, I need you to be on standby. I need you to be on call because a servant does whatever is needed to meet a need. Now, the one little catch here is in order to meet a need, you need to be aware of the need, right? You can't meet a need that you're not aware of. That's why Mary brings it to Jesus. There's a need. We're out of wine. Do something about it. Servants, you're at his disposal. So the first thing, if we're going to have this life of serving, remember our family, our church, but also our community, we need to make sure that our eyes are wide enough and open enough to be aware of the needs in our family and in our church and in our community. If you think of your family for a second, think of the needs of your family. And this might not just be providing for. Immediately, especially as guys, we immediately go to, well, I work so I can pay the bills. I work so I can put a roof over their heads. I work so I can put a bed for them and a pillow for them to sleep on. But it's not just serving to provide. It's serving because they need time as well. So I'd encourage you, take a note, write it down. What does it look like to meet the needs of your family? Not just the basic needs. Great conversation this week with your family. Hey, what, what do you need? Go to the different members of your family. What, what's something you need right now? Maybe it's just for this week. What do you need of, of me this week? Maybe it's a season. What do you need of me for the season of our life, the season of our marriage, the season of our family? I have found for for me personally, I'm still in that season of, of serving my family through a whole lot of uninterrupted time. We have young kids. Uh, my wife's a stay-at-home mom, and she is just with them 
all the time. And so she needs more time like away from everything. And, and those kids need time with their dad. And I catch myself, and I shared this before, still working on it, is the just a minute phrase. Hey, dad, come here and play with me. Yeah, 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 just a minute. Brian, I need you to take care of this. Okay, yeah, just a minute. Hey, we're going to play. Okay, just a minute. I'll be right. And that just a minute has immediately said, you are not as important as what I'm working on. How do we serve our family? We serve our family by meeting their needs. What does your family need? Are you aware of those needs? A servant does what's ever needed to meet the needs. So you got to find out. If you want to serve your family, you got to find out what they need. And you got to be willing to do whatever is needed to meet those needs, the needs of your family. Needs of our church. Are you aware of needs of our church? Could you imagine, just imagine with me for a moment when you pulled into the theater this morning, imagine what it would have been like if no volunteer was here. Like if every single one of our volunteers called in sick today. Could you begin to just roll that movie in your mind? You, you pull up and there's no signs because the incredible team, they put them out on Saturdays. So they, you pull in and there's no signs. You start to wonder, do we even have church today? There's no signs out. And then you try to park. Have you ever tried parking at church without a parking attendant? You'd go every which way. And I know y'all are very good drivers, but those parking team, they have to make sure everybody's where they need to be. And then you walk in and instead of being warmly greeted, you, you realize you're at the wrong door because this one's locked and no one's directing you. So you have to go to the other one and you walk in and there's nobody there to check your kids in and there's, there's nothing set up. And, and you start to walk around and you go to get your necessity, your coffee, and you realize in horror that it's not there. Somebody had the audacity to call in sick and didn't provide coffee for me this morning. So now you're really grumpy. You don't have your coffee. You walk down the hallway, nothing set up. You walk into the auditorium and you just see me and Sean standing on stage. No lights, no setup, no nothing. And we're like, hey, we're glad you're here. We're going to have church today. And you're like, actually, I got to go. <laughs> Catch you next week when everybody comes back. Could you imagine what it would be like? coming onto this church campus where we want to be for our community, where we want to, to love people that walk in, where we want to show people who God is and what it means to have a relationship with him, to let him change our life story, but no one's here helping with that. Let me give you the reality. The reality is it all happens, right? You walked in this morning and it was all set up and everything was good to go. So it tends to make us think there's no need. They've got it covered. Let me give you the reality. And this is not a, a guilt trip and this is not a, a plead. This is just a you need to know the need. The need is we need to, our, our current volunteer base, those that are here week in and week out, those that are serving and setting up, everything that you see happens, happens because a volunteer did it, right? And you need to know that we need to, in order to have a healthy volunteer team, we need to double our current volunteers. The reason why is because our current volunteers, they're the same volunteers every single week. So I'll just be candid with you. Next week, if Jake could not make it to make your coffee, no one's going to be banking coffee next week because he's the only one making coffee. If, if a few key people weren't able to be here for setup, then you would walk in and, and you would not see things set up. Every one of our volunteers are basically on an every week rotation, which means they're on every single week. And that means that's not, I'm just letting you know, that's not a healthy way to, to run a church. Churches are run on volunteers, and, and at some point, those volunteers are either going to get tired or going to burn out, or they do get sick, believe it or not. They do go on vacation. We give them time off, hopefully. But to be honest, the reality is we have to double our current volunteer team so that we give our volunteers a chance to be part of the church and not just always working in church. That's the need of our church. What does it look like to, to be a servant? We say, I'm going to meet a need, whatever it means to meet that need. So maybe for you, as you're th sitting there thinking, it's like, wait, what, what, could I, what could I do to serve our church? Well, maybe it's picking a volunteer team, 
to giving some of these other volunteers a little bit of breathing room and a little bit of a break. A servant does what's needed to meet a need. What about our community? Think of the needs of our community. You guys probably even have a better pulse on this than I do. We're all in different spheres of influence within our community. We have great opportunities to help. And as a church, we want to do our very best. I feel like it's part of my job to make those needs available for us to meet them as a church. That's why we did family night with the Dawson school system. That's why we did serve day yesterday. That's why we do a lot of those things. But more than that, you have, you have places of influence where you're already connected. Your neighborhood, the schools your kids go to, the clubs you're part of, all of those are areas that you have a potential to serve in that I will never be able to serve in, that I don't even have a clue there's a need there. The idea is opening up our eyes, being aware of the need so we can then serve. Serving does whatever is needed to meet a need. So I'll tell you a couple things that are coming up just for our church. Again, to let you know the needs, one of the things that we do the second Saturday of every month, so that's coming up this Saturday here in a, uh, just the end of this weekend, is we're part of Meals by Grace. And what we did yesterday, uh, we do on a smaller scale the second Saturday of every month. So we pack food and we deliver to about 15 to 20 families in our community, in our county. Credible opportunity. My kids can be part of it. Any age can be part of it. And it lasts about two hours from two to four. So Meals by Grace is a great opportunity. We're also doing something we did last year, starting in December, out here where we kind of have our stories set up. Um, we are going to have what's called the wall of needs. And so we have been asking our schools and other local um, nonprofits and organizations, even been asking many of you and your connections, what are needs in our community? So what you're going to see starting the first weekend of December are little cards out here on the wall, and they all are a, a specific need for an individual or a group in our community. It may be clothing, it may be toys for Christmas. It may be, we had a refrigerator, a family, the refrigerator went out, they couldn't afford it, they needed a refrigerator last year. Handful of people in a life group got together, they pulled money, they bought them a refrigerator, met a need. So you can look for those coming up, but we want to continue to be aware of needs so that we can serve, to meet the needs, whatever it takes to meet the needs. So that's what Mary tells these servants. Hey, there's a need, do what he tells you to do. As a servant, do whatever you need to, to meet the needs. Verse six, here's the next set of instructions these servants, these heroes get. Verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now, this is a 55 gallon jug barrel. And so you can imagine instead of six of the up to 30 gallons, you need about three of these. And understand three of these or six at the 30 gallons is about 180 gallons, 180 gallons. That is over 1600. That's almost like almost to the 2000 mark pounds of water, almost 2000 pounds of water. And this is not where, hey, just go get the water hose and we'll just stand here and fill it up. They had to go and draw the water. They had to then carry the water. They had to then dump the water and repeat that until they had 180 gallons of water filling these jars. That's a big task. <laughs> Jesus says it so nonchalantly, like, hey, servants, can you just fill up 180 gallons of water real quick for me, please? But they do it. They do it and they don't just get it like, hey, Jesus, this is good, right? You're the son of God, supposedly. Like, can you just multiply it? If we get a little in there, that should be good, right? No, what does it say? It says they filled it to the brim. Every single one of them, they filled to the brim. 180 gallons they filled to the brim. And I've got to be thinking, if I'm one of these servants, I've got stuff running through my head. I'm thinking, 
How's this gonna help? Somebody please help me understand we're out of wine, we're filling jugs of water. Somebody walk me through this. Did anybody ask him first if this was a good idea? What, what, what am I actually doing? Why am I actually doing this? Could he have gotten somebody else to do this? Keep in mind, who else was invited? He, himself, his family, were the disciples with Jesus here? Yeah, what are the disciples doing while servants are filling 180 gallons of water? Watching these servants fill up 180 gallons of water. Jesus, could you get your, your team to help us out a little bit? What if we call timeout and we get all the guests? We could do this real quick. No, they do it without seeing how this is gonna help, without complaining, at least audibly, that we have on record. They do it because a servant does whatever is needed to meet a need. Jesus said this is gonna help meet the need. I don't see how, but okay, we'll follow along. Verse eight, the last instructions Jesus gives the servants. Then he told them, they finally get all this filled up, 180 gallons filled up. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. Now before, when Jesus said fill up all of these, these jars, that was just a lot of work. Now what Jesus is asking is almost very risky. You're a servant, you are the low of lows here. And Jesus says, draw some of this water out take it to the master of the banquet and present it to him. Could you see a flaw in the plan? As a servant, now, and we don't know when the water turned to wine. We don't know that. So it could be the water has not yet turned. And so they're carrying water. And we're like, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. I'm going to give it to the master of the banquet. And he drinks this. Like, why'd you give me water? You're fired, right? Maybe it did turn to wine already. And they look and they're like amazed. Wow, it turned to wine. But now it's is it good wine? Is it bad wine? I've never seen water go to wine before. And, and now you have to present this to the master of the banquet. If somebody's on the line here, it's the servants. They're not going to be able to say, well, Jesus told us to pour water in them and they turned to wine. I don't think that's a good, uh, <laughs> good argument here. They were on the line. Their reputation, their livelihood, their job in a way was on the line. If someone was getting in trouble, if this miracle goes south, it's the servants. But they did it anyway because a servant does what's ever needed to meet a need. Here's what happens next. Here is the result. After they present it to the master, verse nine, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the bride, bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. Now, here's the point. If your neighbor's just asleep, wake them up because they, they need to hear this part. Look at the middle portion of verse nine. It says here that the master of the banquet says he did not realize where it had come from. He had no idea where this wine came from. Are we all on the same page? The master of the banquet had no clue where this wine came from. Agreed? But look who did. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Let that sink in. The master of the banquet had no clue this miracle had happened. The guests of the wedding party had no clue that this miracle had happened. The bride and the groom and their families had no clue that this miracle had just happened. The only ones that knew were the servants, the disciples watching, and Jesus. The servants, the ones that filled 180 gallons of water, the servants that, that sweated to get it done, the servants that then in a risky way delivered that water now turned to wine to the master of the banquet, they're the ones that are standing back saying, I can't believe this just happened. 
But every single other person in that party went on and just had a great time. They didn't even know what happened. Those servants are the only ones that saw a miracle. See, servants see miracles that others never get to see. When we serve, when we, when we do work that we're not sure why and, and how does setting up pipe and drape change lives? How does putting communication cards change lives? How does serving a few boxes of food on a Saturday change lives? We do all this work and we're not sure. It's like, why am I even doing this anymore? But we as servants, we're the ones that get to see the miracle when no one else has a clue. When everybody's life continues to go on as is, the servants are the ones that see miracles that no one else ever will. See, we all want to see the miracle. We all want to see the life change and we want to have the stories to celebrate and just be in awe. We want that. If you want that, you got to get on the front lines of what God is doing. God is using servants God himself sent his son to be a servant. Remember, not to be served, but to serve. If you wanna see miracles and you wanna see life change happen, get on the front lines of where God's working and that's as a servant. Servants see life change. Servants see miracles. And sometimes those miracles come from filling 180 gallons of water. I don't see how this is gonna work. I don't see where this is going, but okay. See what you can do with it, God. Verse 11, here's the, the last part I don't want you to miss. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his what? Glory. And his disciples believed in him. I would say the servants did too. That first miracle that Jesus performed was a miracle that only a hand few of people actually saw. Only a few people got to witness, but the servants actually participated with him. Don't miss that. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and filled up the jars of water and could have made everything happen. But Jesus chose to use the servants in his very first miracle. They not just witnessed it, they were part of it. There was a need, they were aware of the need. Jesus came in and said, hey, I'm gonna meet that need, but I'm gonna use you, servants. So I need you to fill up some jars. Well, quite a few jars actually, 180 gallons worth. And even though you don't know why and you don't understand how this is gonna help and what this is gonna produce and... Really, you couldn't have asked anybody else to fill up water. They did it. And it turned into an incredible miracle that they witnessed God's glory, but also the benefit of others, the benefit of the family at the wedding, but also the benefit of the disciples because now they finally believed. What jar is Jesus asking you to fill? What, what's, what's some of those tasks in your family and in the church and in your community that you're just like, I don't really want to, to be honest with you. <laughs> I know it's a need, but I've got other things that I'd rather do. And, and I get that. And this is not an all or none. This is a life of serving and we look for opportunities when we can. But what jar is he asking you to fill up? And I'm telling you, even though we don't see it immediately, when we, when we fill the jars that Jesus is asking us to fill, when we serve to meet needs, to do whatever's needed to meet needs, life change happens because of it. I want to read a story. It was actually emailed to me late last night. Uh, this is a family that was part of our serve day yesterday here at our Dawson campus, the Banning family. And I want you to hear the jar that they filled and what God did with it. Here's what they wrote into me. Our family's experience at serve day was one that we will never forget. We sorted food, we lifted boxes, checked lists, carefully listened to instructions, and then we were off. 
All the planning and hard work and dedication by so many came down to a simple, kind gesture of delivering food to a family in need. Everything that led up to this moment could have been passed off as an act of kindness performed by anyone for anybody in any organization. But then God happened. We departed the loading area and headed out for our delivery. We arrived at the home and found ourselves in the driveway of a large, beautiful home with a well-manicured lawn and a gated entrance. I reminded my family that needs come in all shapes and sizes as we made our way up to the house. I introduced myself and my family to Julie and thanked her for allowing us to help. Not knowing anything about her other than her name, I asked if there was anything we could do to help her. She began to open up and told us a story that brought us to tears. Her husband of 18 years was incarcerated earlier in the year for domestic violence against their two children. The situation involved severe abuse and both children are suffering and in treatment for PTSD. In the eight months since the father's arrest, they have been abandoned by the only family they had ever had and have felt lost like never before. In addition, Julie suffers from a chronic spinal condition that renders the left side of her body useless at times. Julie was thankful for the food that we brought and said it will be a welcome break from all the ramen noodles they have had so much of. My training as a police officer gave me some insight into help and guide her. And my love for my family gave me empathy for the hurt I saw in her eyes. And we cried. God told me to pray, so I asked Julie if we could say a prayer for her. We circled up in the driveway, we held hands, and we prayed. We dried the tears, and Julie continued to talk with us about her family. She said her son kept reminding her that there was no milk in their house. As God would have it, we have milk, in all caps. Here's why. You see, we have a small farm with two beautiful Jersey milk cows. I told Julie that our girls, Noel and Pearl, would love to see to it that her family had all the milk they ever needed. We returned several hours later and delivered her gallon, two gallons of fresh milk and a gift card so she could purchase some food of her own choosing. We spoke for another hour and was able to identify some other critical home repair needs that we can meet. In short, all we did, all we did was deliver six boxes of food. God delivered hope, kindness, and gave us a family we can love through a very tough time. My family looked into the eyes of hurt and pain and saw our amazing God meet the need head on. The Banning family. All we did was deliver six boxes of food. Only God knew why the Banning family was chosen to take six boxes of food to Julie's family. Not easy work, filling the jars of water. I'm not even gonna lie, I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm not gonna say it's always enjoyable. The enjoyable part, servants, is when we see water turn to wine. The enjoyable part is when we see the miracle of life change happen because of our faithfulness to be servants, to do whatever's needed, to meet a need. So here's what I wanna give you an opportunity to do. Um, when you came in this morning, you got your worship guide, but you also got this little card that just says serve on it. And on the front of the card, it says, I commit to a life of serving others, and I trust God will use me for more life change. If you just serve because you're told to, you're going to burn out really quick. If you serve because you trust that God will use you for miracles and the miracle of life change, you'll never be able to quit. 
Seeing God do miracles is addicting. And you can't ever get enough of it. So on the back of that card are three ways. I told you to think in categories. Family, church, community. I'm not saying do all three. As we sing and as we worship together, I want you to be thinking, what needs am I aware of in my family? What needs am I aware of in my church? And if you're not sure, I put them in boxes so you can see them right there. Those are all the needs we have. <laughs> what are the needs of my community? And I would encourage you over the next, you know, four minutes as we finish this worship song, that you would prayerfully and humbly commit to be a servant for Jesus. Not to get the job done, but to let God use you for a miracle of life change. What I'm going to have you do is after you fill these out, you are going to find this barrel outside the door. And if you're willing to commit to a life of serving and trusting that God would use you for more life change, as you leave this morning, you don't just leave, hey, I came to church today, but you leave a servant. And we begin by filling up our jars. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you do through us. The life change that we get to see and experience and witness, but also be part of because of you choosing to involve us. God, there is no rational reason why you would ever choose to use us for your miracles, but you do. And whatever that reason may be, God, we are honored to be part of it. So we humbly say yes. We say yes to following you, and that means following you as your example as a servant. That we would live every day of every life as a good manager of what you've given us to serve because that's what you did for us. May we be a servant that does whatever is needed to meet needs so that we may be a servant that sees miracles that no one else ever sees. In Jesus' name, amen.